Good evening, everybody. Basement Sports Podcast, another episode. And listen, it's college football. It is local college football. It is Penn State. It's the University of Pittsburgh. And Duty and I are absolutely thrilled to have a couple of guests on tonight. First of all, our Penn State expert, Wayne Wagoner, joining us from Hello. Pittsburgh. Wayne, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. And we're privileged to have former Pitt starting quarterback Billy Stull joining us tonight to talk Pitt football. Billy, how you doing? Guys, I'm excited. I am thrilled to be on and talking good, good things about Pitt football because they're giving us some good stuff to talk about. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Duty, how are you? I noticed you got the beverage in your hand. Very well, uh, very excited. These guys are always fun to have on. They've both been on before. And uh, if if you don't like the knowledge that they bring, that's a that's a you problem. <laughs> well, because nobody wants to sit here and listen to you and I drone on for an hour. So no, we got to get some different. I, I, I promise I won't fart loud this time. <laughs> well, let's get started. Billy, I want to we're going to get started and talk with you about pit football. So first two games, UMass ex- expected blowout, expected win. And actually saw an interesting stat for the number of points that Pitt was uh, favored by in that game. That was the first time in six 38. games. Yeah, they're, they were favored by 38, and they actually, co- they actually uh, covered. And that was like the first time in like five games or something that they, were, they actually covered a game where they were favored by over 30. So, uh, you know, it was a, a warm-up win. Coach Narduzzi actually called it a third scrimmage. I'm not quite sure how UMass would have taken that comment. but uh, And then they, they go down to Tennessee and, and, uh, and beat the Volunteers uh, by a touchdown in Tennessee. So let's just start with overall, with these first two games of the year, Billy, your thoughts on what you're seeing out of this team in these first two games? Well, overall um... – I'm seeing guys that are, guys that are finishing. Uh, we're we're finishing games. Uh, we're finishing runs. We're we're not making those, for lack of better words, here we go again, pit type of moments that really beat ourselves offensively. Yes, we we had a few few hiccups that that put the offense in in, in bad in bad field position uh, versus Tennessee early on, which. I was extremely, you know, I really wanted to see how they responded. And that second quarter kind of told us what, what type of, what type of pit team we have uh, as far as offense. Um, You could either let you, let your, you know, what drop and get to work or, or are we going to pout and point fingers and that, that, that type of stuff. So uh, I'm seeing adversity being, you know, overcome. I'm I'm seeing, you know, guys stepping up to to the occasion as far as, you know, big transitional moments in games like you know that block punt. The next series, we're backed up and maybe we throw a pick. Who knows? But that didn't happen. And those things of the past where we're compiling on bad, you know, bad decision with the bad penalty or you know those types of things compiling on. We're not doing that so far, and I'm 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 happy that we're not beating ourselves, and it's quite the opposite. Uh, we're actually utilizing our playmakers, and every position thus far 
is showing some extreme talent and extreme ability to go ahead and put the ball in the end zone. Wayne, did you have a question? No. Oh, okay. no I, I agree with Billy, and I think the more Pitt does that, the more confidence they gain. When you're, you're in that situation where you're making mistakes and your past comes up, it's easy to slide back into those old habits. But I think the longer they do this, especially at a site like Neyland Stadium, they're going to gain confidence and move forward. I, I think they're going to have an excellent season. Yeah, you know, everyone talks about te how Tennessee is not great this year, but it's an A, it's an SEC team, right? B, yep. I, think they, I think that stadium holds close to 105,000 people. So when you take a team like Pitt, like Bill said, who traditionally messes up in this situation, a game that they go on the road, it's their first test, they got some young kids playing, they, I thought they went down there and showed some heart, um, especially after the block punt put them behind. In that stadium and in that atmosphere, I think it could have been real easy for them to fold, like he said. And I was pretty impressed when, when they stayed in there. I want to I want to focus a little bit on Kenny Pickett um, because I from what I've seen and call me biased I've been impressed with what I've seen these first two games he looks very very poised you know he certainly knows the offense now and you you I, I feel like when I see him he's more taking command of the offense when he's out there he seems to be more in control so for the um, for the Tennessee game, he finished 24-36 for 285 yards and two touchdowns. And, and he's he's also typical Kenny Pickett. He's not afraid to run the ball, you know, to tuck it and run. And I'm sure it gives his uh, coaches a little bit of uh, heart tremors when they see him lower his head and, you know, just go plowing into a couple of defenders. But, I, you know, there was one particular play where that got him the first down uh, where he and needed to do that. And that was a fourth down conversion right. too. Yes, it was. Which, and I, I know we were going, Greg, and, and I love it because I, I, I was talking about this uh, earlier as well with, with a few former pit guys. You know, what what can Kenny do being a super senior? Like, what, what else can he do to get better? I mean, he's been here for this long. Like, you should know what to do. And my, my answer was the very minute, detail things because that's that's what's going to push him from a good quarterback a solid quarterback to a standout first team all conference type quarterback who who can go first round second round type type of you know quarterback and how he does that and how he is doing that is his decision making in the pocket being able to move but not not to just move to escape right away you're seeing Kenny with his pocket presence and his footwork literally transitioning from one side of the field going back to another backside read. And then he might get some pressure, but he's sliding, moving, and even running, not to just run first. He's still looking downfield. And I'm pretty sure his first touchdown pass in that second quarter was a little bit of a scramble to the right. Uh, going in for a touchdown, and he was able to find a receiver in, in the back coming across the back end zone. My point is he's finding throwing lanes with his feet, but not running maybe his first, second year. He kind of probably would just take off, you know, take off and just scramble and get what he can. But when he does scramble to get those first downs, he's being smart. 
we we do see Kenny slide, but on that fourth down conversion was extremely, extremely crucial. Uh, like I said, fourth down, he knows when to slide and when not to. So, and he is elusively, uh, elusively, you know, athletic. He is quick. He, 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 he is fast. He, he's, I would say he's faster than the average pocket passer. He's definitely, you know, faster than I was probably. He's probably in that low four, six, uh, area mm-hmm. and Phil, do you think the fact that he has a lot of viable options now helps him with that looking downfield he's got receivers a tight end where maybe a couple years ago he running was the best option in that situation and now he has confidence in his receivers downfield I, Wayne I, absolutely uh, a few years ago it was you know first read second read third read is run I mean, or, or he's scrambling by the time he gets to his second read. Now, I mean, we're, we're starting to see, you know, guys identify themselves as first string, second string, you know, those types of things. And we're seeing, you know, uh, Tazier Mack, Jordan Addison, Jared Wayne, and Lucas Kroll. Those are going to be our meat and potatoes as far as our receiving core. And I tell you what, I'm not only liking that we're spreading the ball around, but we're getting chunk yardage. We're, we're not just getting, you know, that, that West coast type of offense where you catch it for five yards, you get tackled mm-hmm. and it's, it's second and second and six, second and five. And then, you know, we're, we're playing that chess game down the field. You know, I, I look at the stats here, you know, Tazier and Mack had a 31 yard catch. Uh, Jordan Addison had a 21 yard catch. Uh, Jared Wayne had some yak yards, took one for 40. I thought he was taking it to the house. Uh, I thought he was making a house call right there, broke a tackle. Uh, And and Lucas Kroll had a catch for 16 yards. Like these are first down catches that move the chains that are chunk yardage, you know, anything over 25 yards, I believe uh, was a big play quote unquote on, on our big board in college which big plays would always stand for difference makers. You, you almost take them as almost points because it's such a big play on that drive. You're almost guaranteed to get points. You know what I mean? So uh, he has a plethora of, of people to, to, to throw the rock to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill, uh, uh, let me, let me back up because I'm not, a am not a, a big as a picket fan as you guys are. Um, He's a 17th year senior. Um, not as much as not as many offense. years as Hunter Renfro had at Clemson, but go on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I think what he just said, oh, what I think what Bill said hit it right in the head because in the past, when I watched him play, it was first read, look for a lane to run or throw it out of, and throw it out of bounds if there wasn't anything there. Now, part of that is the offensive line's given a little more time, but I'm still not convinced that when he gets down by a couple scores and the defense knows he has to throw, he's going to be as accurate or he's going to make, make the read uh, like he's supposed to do. And, I, and, and with all due respect to Bill, I don't see him being a first or second round draft choice at this point, I don't think he's going to get drafted before the fourth. Um, I just, I'm not, I think this is the best he's looked that I've ever seen a pit him play since he's been at pits in 1958. But 
Here's what I can say. He's not making the stupid mistakes anymore. He's not looking, throwing it over the middle, missing the guy crossing 10, 10 yards over his head and getting picked. He's, he's progressing. He's going through his progressions. And when he has to get rid of the ball, he's getting rid of it. He's actually been very, very impressive to me so far the year as far as not making mistakes. I'm just not confident that's going to continue after the fifth week of the season. That's all. Well, you know, and, look, go, go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. Bill. And I, I can absolutely, you know, understand that because consistency has not been Pitt's for exactly what I guess I should have said. Yeah. And consistency in, in pro sports, I, I don't give a crap what anybody says. Consistency is the toughest thing to do in all sports. It's That's key. why you have good oh. professional players and yeah. then you have great ones. The great ones figure out a way to be consistently great. Every or, week. I'm sorry, consistently good. If you're consistently yep. good, you become a great player. Uh, the good ones, you know, they, they, they're still out there making millions. They're still out there doing their thing. But um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, absolutely not. But I, I definitely think the consistency, consistent, consistency thing as far as Kenny and the offense in general um, is taking a turn for the better. And I'm going to say less is more for Kenny because while Kenny has had all the playing time in the world and has, he's going to end up being the all-time passer and most starts and all that type of stuff. And yes, he's been, been there for 10 years. I get it. But I think now he he's matured, you know, for that, for that position. I think it was time for some other guys to catch up as far as playing time when they were young. Yes, we're young, but we have depth. We have depth on both sides of the ball and, and some Bill, very big key areas too. Let me ask you a quick question about Pitt's tight ends. Um, I've always thought that, and I don't know if it's Narduzzi's offense or way back when you were there, that tight ends weren't a big game plan for Pitt. Um, for everyone listening, what do you think, what's going on with the Pitt tight ends? Does Narduzzi use them as part of an offense or does he like to use them as blockers? And do you think he should utilize the tight ends more? Well, I was extremely – well, I'm going to be extremely biased because I had the last uh, first-team All-American tight end. Yeah, you had a good one. To throw to. Uh, and I also played with a few other uh, first-team All-Conference ones as well. But my point is I, was, I, I played with a receiving tight end who, who was more of in, in the blocking scheme – kind of cut off the backside, kick out people type of thing. And okay. then I also played with your your pro style Heath Miller type of guys like Nate, like Nate Byam, John Pelusi, um, uh, geez. Uh, and then also there's Daryl Strong type guys. Uh, and then Doran Dickerson obviously is is a freak of nature, but in my <laughs> opinion, in my opinion, tight ends, they're mismatches waiting to happen. Absolutely. In, in the pass game, in between the numbers, in between those hashes, I mean, those are money down types of, you know, situations and mismatches where if you have guys like, like Kroll, I mean, my goodness, he's 6'6", uh, Lucas Kroll is 6'6", about 255, 265. I was at a golf outing with him uh, maybe four weeks ago or something. 
dude was hitting 350 yard bombs off the tee blocks <laughs> not very accurate but i'm talking a humongous human being that i had to walk by and just like eye up and say wow i could throw this rock i i, I wish i had you you know with that type of size and athletic ability running down the steam <laughs> I mean, red zone, you think a red zone, you throw it, you throw it like, like you're kicking it into the, the goalpost and he just go up and get it. So let me ask yeah, you, let me, let me, the catch radius, right? Yeah. Catch radius. Catch radius. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Bill, as a quarterback, you know, so, cause last year crawl got hurt and that kind of screwed things up. But, but for, for Kenny Pickett, having a, a Lucas crawl in the, you know, playing tight end, how does that open up the rest of the offense for you? Because the defense has to pay attention to him, correct? I tell you what, he he doesn't open the defense. The running game will open the defense, which will open the tight end. Okay. I'm telling you, we made money off of play action fakes in that gold zone going into score gold zone meeting from the 40 yard yard line going into the red zone we made money on that and 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 i mean that by running power to the right running power to the left and then all of a sudden switching formations or personnel groupings so now doran's tight end but he's in a backside receiver type of position where now he's in the slot and he's now on a, a linebacker who who he can run right past, you know those type of mismatches. Yeah. And I, he's and bigger I, than exactly strength wise, go up and get it type. You know all the mismatches that play into Pitt's favor. I'm gonna look at Lucas Kroll, and and the freshman. My goodness, it's it. I miss yeah, his but name he's a right good. Now. He's a good one. He's a good it, one. And he's, he, gonna, he, he's gonna he be is. a good one. He's gonna be a good one. The fact that hey, he's getting fast, playing time. How fast is Kroll, guys? What do you think he runs a, a forty in? I would say four six. Yeah, gotta be, gotta be at least. I agree. I mean, he, he's 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 a big fella, but he he can move. He can pick him up and put him down um, with probably the tops. Uh, I so would... scheme wise, you want him lined up on a linebacker? Absolutely. I'm, and I, I was going to say what what I'm liking that that Whipple and. Keep in mind now, defensive coaches, like I, I love wants that. He's one of the reasons why I came I came to Pitt, decommitted from the SEC school, Kentucky, yep. Kent and stayed home to Pitt. But he didn't have a whole lot to do with our offense. So let's <laughs> let's make sure our, our defensive coaches, like like Doozy is, um, Whipple runs that offense. And what I'm liking what Whipple's doing is we're getting a little more creative. Like let's shifts, motions personnel groupings like now that the the depth chart is getting ironed out and we can't just say we're doing running back by committee anymore we have conference games coming up we need to get guys you know reps we need to iron out who our offense is and actually really start doing the things consistently that that's going to win football games that tight end you're thinking about i think it's gavin bartholomew yes yeah yes yeah Gavin Bartholomew, yeah, and he's. Well, I think the Jimmies and the Joes allow you to be more creative with the X's and the O's, and I think their talent level has increased to the point that they can do more things now. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with, in, in the receiving game, you, you're now good. Like we, we know that we can take the top off the coverage. Yeah. So you can't, you can't put, you know, eight, nine guys in the box with us, but Pitt has to show that they can do that. Pitt has to show that they can run the rock and they, they started doing that. Uh, not so much running back by committee like it was last year in, in the first game against New Hampshire. Now it's, you know, Izzy, uh, Vincent, and is getting Davis. It, and Vincent Davis. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, those two guys are getting the bulk carries and then it was Kenny. That, that those were the other only other guys that really got, you know, the other rushes. thing, the other thing that I noticed, Billy, when I looked at the stats was how much Kenny Pickett spread the ball around. I mean, it was, you know, yeah, Tasir Mack had four catches for 100 yards, like all with, you know, within the first half. But Addison with six catches, Jared Wayne with three, Lucas Crawl with three. But the running backs had seven. You know, he got the ball out to, to Israel. He got the ball out to Vincent Davis. And it just seemed to me like those those passing statistics was a little bit different than what I'd seen from Kenny Pickett in the past. Like he was getting the and, ball to some different guys. And that that's a great point. And it, it's going to go back to the point I was making earlier of how is he transitioning from a good to great quarterback? And it's those details. He knows his offense. He's literally going through every single read and then getting down to those checkdowns instead of running after first read, second read, and just saying, screw it, I'm taking off. He's, he's, he's able to, first off, his, his offense line has given him the time to get through his first, second, third, fourth, and typically that third, fourth, fifth read is going to be that check down to your tight end or to your backs trying to leak out, you know, uh, from helping offensive line tackle, chipping out, however they can find their, their, their way to get out to the field. And then Kenny's finding, finding ways to get through the, that pocket to get throwing lanes. And just with the stats that you said, Greg, I mean, seven catches by the running backs. Kenny's able to get through his progressions and he's finding those check, those checkdowns, AKA what we called him my senior year at Pitt sack savers because <laughs> suit, literally sack savers, sack savers, save uh, drives, sack yeah. savers, prevent, prevent you from punting the football. They prevent you from fourth down. They will prevent you from third and long or fourth and one. You know, those types of things. Or, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. I, I guarantee Vincent Davis is going to take one, take a two-yard catch, and he has the ability to take it to, to make a house call at, at, at any time. So those sack savers, uh, it's a great point, Greg. It's one of the reasons why Kenny's transitioning um, to a good to great quarterback. But he has to be consistent. So couple couple last questions before you got to go, Billy. First of all, what about this team, if anything, maybe one or two things concern you going forward? Because let's face it, they got uh, Western Michigan, then New Hampshire, then they start ACC play at Georgia Tech. Now, I was talking to Wayne about this. Very, very, very good chance that the Panthers are 5-0 and going into Virginia Tech, which is – a great atmosphere. That'd be a great game, but and and there's a bye. Before yeah, and there's that a bye Virginia before Tech that game. game right. So what? 
But what about this team on either side of the ball that you've seen in the first two games concern you about the Panthers having a really great season? I'll, I'll give you at least one, one for both sides of the ball. Um, offense, I'll start first because obviously I'm biased. Um, I am a little <laughs> concerned with the running game. I, I need me as a quarterback from trying to have that mindset of I got to do everything to where, wow, if I can establish a running game, my goodness, my first and second read in the second half for pass plays are going to be a few more yards wide open than they were in the first half. Because if we can establish that running game, it takes the pressure off of Whipple. It takes the pressure off of Pickett. And it's what the big guys up front want. If they get in a rhythm, it's over. Because you look at the stats for red zone scoring, we've scored 15 out of 17 times that we've been in the red zone. And I understand that we played two games, but stats are stats still. We've scored, I think, 13 or 14 touchdowns once we've got in the red zone. That's how you can win games against anybody. Yeah. Now, on the defensive side, it's – the same shit different day for me man yeah quarters press call it zone call it man i don't give a crap what you call it in my world as a quarterback that's one-on-one -on -one. that's man i'm licking my chops and i'm going to work and if, if they think they can cover it and disguise it there's so many ways that you can do pre-snap shifts and 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 uh, movements and things to get a one-on-one -on -one type of coverage uh so I'm concerned with that type of schematic defensive plan versus a talented quarterback. Now, I forget his name, Martin Moulton from last week yeah. for Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, not a very accurate quarterback, not, very, not really known for a passing run, aspect. Yeah. But that's why they press the living crap out of the corners. Why not disrupt disrupt the timing and rhythm of a quarterback who doesn't have time and a rhythm? I mean, it's it, it's a great plan, but I'm gonna get a little nervous. I'm a little worried about to answer your question um, of us continuing to play that type of defense once we get into better conference play and and quite frankly when, just a better offense and a better quarterback. When a Sam well, we'll when a Sam Howell comes to town, when a Sam Howell comes to town, you get nervous about that. Yeah, I mean, and, Georgia Tech doesn't throw the ball very well, but I, I, I was going to ask you the same question about the defense and why on third and 12, they're still in that man-to-man -man defense where you either get a pass interference call on a first down or you can get beat long. It drives me nuts. I'm a Cowboy fan, sorry to say. They do the same thing, and every week it's third and 15 and somebody goes deep because it's man-to-man -man all <laughs> over the field. I don't get it. And you guys, hit it right. True, true, con true confessions, true confessions from a Cowboys fan tonight on the Basement Sports Podcast. So <laughs> check out on third down when when the when your team uh, when your team's offense is on the sidelines and, and the defense hits a third down. Try and watch the quarterback for your team because third down to me that was always all right. Let's let's get a couple passes. Let's talk to my O line real quick couple quick checks hey coach what are you thinking what are, what are you expecting you know all that type of stuff and we're we're keeping an eye on on the on the field but we're we're talking like we're licking our chops we're ready to get back on out on the field and then it, it is the biggest kick in the nuts yeah when it's third down and 12 <laughs> 
and we and and I see press press corners quarters and they they run some type of crosser or but a seam with it and now it's one on one with the corner and and it it's not a jump ball it's a two to one yep it's either a pass interference or it's a it's a chunk play or a first down yeah first exact pass interference first down chunk play touchdown name it it doesn't go to our favor and it hasn't consistently Yep. So, I hey, totally agree. It drives me nuts. But Billy, before you go, Wayne, did you have something you wanted to? I did. Yeah. I, I think we're missing a point here where concerns for Pitt, I think it all starts with the offensive line. That's where they've dropped off in the last three years with their running games. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, Billy, what do you think? Do they have the uh, talent and will they improve? To me, um, you have to be in situations where that offensive line can gain you some you know yardage in a running game all we have to do is look at the Steelers to see what happens when you can't run the football they have Najee Harris it's the same field what's that it's the same field it's like a jinx (laughs) but I really think that's to me if you ask me my area of concern with Pitt going forward it's the offensive line any comments on that Bill absolutely you brought up a great point and I have an answer for you. I, I don't know if it is the answer, but it seems like from what I'm hearing from, and from the South side uh, that we have a transfer from Ohio state. I can't, I can't believe I can't think of his name right now, but there there's, there's some uh, clearinghouse issues. I, I don't know if issues, but I, he might have to like standard, you know, wait a little bit. I'm not sure, but they're very high on him. They're just waiting. He was actually like, the big dog of the week or something. Ryan Jacoby. Ryan Jacoby. Ryan Jacoby. Yeah. Uh, he was actually like big dog of the week show player of the week or something or other uh, scout team running scout team offensive line for Pitt's uh, show team for the defense. So I'm looking for him uh, once he's able to go in and start immediately and, and make, make an impact. So that, that might be the piece of the puzzle that, that gets things going and maybe we can ride that and get easy running downhill and having our scat back, you know, Vincent Davis do his thing too. Hey, uh, before we let you go, Billy, so I'm, I'm looking at the pit schedule and I'm going to four games. I'm not going to have you go through the whole, whole rest of the schedule, but four games. And I just want you to tell me in your thought, win or loss. Okay. Ready? Come on, you know I can't say Pitt if it's gonna lose. Well, come on, who do you think I? Who do you think I am, Mark May? Come on, man. Who do you think I am, Mark May? No, you're not. You're definitely not. You're more Lewis Riddick than you are Mark May. So, <laughs> uh, I love. I lo- you gotta love Lewis. Oh, you he's love awesome. So at Virginia Tech, when? Okay, home against Clemson. They can win that game with that freshman quarterback. From from what Clemson's offensive line showed, and and and, and trust me, I know it's Georgia. They're they're dogs. I get it, but that showed that showed way more about Clemson than than it did about Georgia. Okay. So i I gotta call upset. Okay. I gotta call upset. Wow. I'm I'm, I'm going to say a close. Um, a close fourth quarter. Like a 13-10 like, or a higher scoring close game? 
No, no. Pitt's going to give up points. It's it's going to have to. It's going to be a shootout because okay. Doozy's not not going to give give away from what he does. Okay, I know what you're going to say, Miami. That's a win. Yeah. Okay, and then the last one is is home against North Carolina, which I got to tell you, North Carolina didn't look all that good. Wasn't that Virginia impressive? Tech. No. I I I my heart is saying win on everything. Uh huh. But. Which is the most dangerous game for Pitt to possibly drop one? Let's say that of those four. It, it has to be the obvious bigger name ones, the Clemson and mm-hmm. and UNC. But there, these next couple of games, man, have have trap game all over it. I, I I don't like the fact that there's so much hype about. Like I love the hype about Tennessee, but I'm really hoping in house doozies either making them do extra conditioning or something to just like keep your eye on eye on the prize because we didn't do shit yet <laughs> you know what i mean uh something to just keep everybody on pace but i think these next ones are are easy wins for us i could say that because i don't play anymore but with <laughs> georgia tech that scheme always always makes me nervous especially that's like my the, trap game like 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 a navy aspect and Pitt's already lost the navy and i don't they don't run it anymore do they? they're they're not i don't think they're running that option as much anymore now with the new coach they're not no, no, not as much they, but they still don't throw the ball but much. they still have those athletes they're, they're still mainly a run why, team why is Pitt, why is Pitt going down there for the third year in a row yeah why because aren't they of up co- here because of covid <laughs> because of covid i blame every billy i blame everything on covid these days you know i was like you know, you know, my wife asked me I why I didn't take the garbage out, and it's because of COVID. That's it's, it's an well, easy. It was more fun. Down <laughs> in Buckhead, that's why. <laughs> well, Billy, we know you got to run, but hey, tell us about your podcast. Tell us where everybody can find you. Yes, absolutely. Hey, um, so the podcast is the Believe in Pit Football Podcast. Uh, B L E A V. Uh, you can go on uh, Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, you can go on our web, our actual uh, link to the to the website, uh, believepodcast.com. Uh, you check out my social medias. Uh, we got a, we, we got the links everywhere. Uh, super fun. Me, Doran Dickerson, uh, Jerry Dabala for from the from the Trib. Long time. Uh, been covering Pitt for 10, 11 years. Uh, he he corrected me the other day. And it was like, oh yeah, I still had that, uh, that that Coach Graham year. Don't forget about that. I said, no, trust me, we all forgot about that. <laughs> uh, so it's only been ten years, Jerry. Uh, but and then also the All American middle linebacker uh, Scott McKillop as well. A uh, bunch of bunch of great guys uh, today, tonight, or gonna gonna air tomorrow. Uh, but we had on uh, Mike McGlynn, aka Big Greasy, uh, from the Youngstown area. Uh, <laughs> And then also Charles Spencer, aka Big June, uh, both guys that went to the NFL. Pit, longtime Pit guys, just loving Pit, loving football, and just loving to talk football. A lot of fun. Awesome, awesome, Billy. Can't thank you enough for coming on. Really, really appreciate the time. Good luck with the podcast, and can't wait to have you on again soon. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Absolutely appreciate you guys. All right. All right. Take, take it easy. All right, everybody, we're going to now transition over to Penn State. That's why we got Wayne and Duty on here to talk Nittany Lions. So Nittany Lions, impressive opening weekend, going into Wisconsin, going into Camp Randall, tough place to play, coming out with a win, 
from what I saw as an objective observer, the defense played an incredible game, very bend but not break. Um, offense did just enough to win, but you know what? You go into a harsh environment like that opening weekend, you come out with a win. That's a great thing. So let's start off with Wayne. What are your initial thoughts after the first two weeks of where Penn State is right now? Well, they, they came up big and finished at Wisconsin, which they didn't do last year at Indiana. And that set the tone for this last year's season. I'm that hoping, was out of bounds. I agree, but uh, <laughs> never should have gotten to that point. But um, I'm hoping that, that this is going to set the tone for this year going forward. But um, lots of rumblings in Happy Valley now. Um, we can't ignore the, the rumor mill, the whole thing with USC. I'm hoping it doesn't have an effect on this team the team will focus and ready to play this year i hope it continues down there and and this doesn't become a big distraction but i'm a little worried about that i was impressed with um, how they stayed focused against ball state people forget ball state won the mac last year and i think the most returning starters of any team in the country or at least in the top two or three uh, very solid program they built up there so so far, so good. Auburn will be a test. Um, they're 122 to nothing, I think, in their first two games, which people will say they didn't play anybody. And I would counter that with, if you stay that focused and disciplined and don't play down to the level of your opponent, that says something about your football team. Even Alabama gave up 14 points to Mercer. So impressed by Alabama's or Auburn's focus and discipline. So Saturday night will tell a lot about where Penn State's headed this year. Yeah. Duty, your thoughts? Um, kind of the same. I think their defense was obviously legit. Uh, they got a couple turnovers, or I'll say would have lost at Wisconsin because their offense missed some opportunities. I am not a Sean Clifford fan. Um, I don't know if I, I, I don't – he should have had three touchdowns to Dotson, all, all deep balls. The first one he overshot him by 15 yards. Then he hit him with one. And then the third one, he was 15 yards ahead of the defender, and he had to stop and wait for the ball. And when he caught it, the defender caught up and tackled him. Um, he throws off his back foot. The offensive line continues to be a problem for Penn State, even though it's better this year than it has been. Um I don't know. I think they're going to have to, they're going to go as far as the defense carries them because I am not convinced that Sean Clifford is the answer for anything. I, I don't understand the people that, that say he's so good. I, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't like his decision-making and against Wisconsin when they were trying to put the game away, it was third and five and he underthrew an eight to 10 yard out pass by three yards that nobody around the guy and it bounced and hit him in the shins um he's i don't get it i i just don't get it i, I and one of the my problems is that no matter what happens uh franklin won't take him out he was horrible last year and he wouldn't take him out he has nowhere to go this year last year he had will levis and That's right that. and he and he yeah. wouldn't replace him last year yeah i know and they wouldn't let Levis throw last year, and he's lighting it up in Kentucky. But just to draw a parallel on our early discussion of Pitt, you've seen K 
Kenny Pickett evolve in that area, and Sean Clifford has not. He's still first thought when a play breaks down is to run. Absolutely. I had a conversation with one of my Penn State buddies today. That's what made Trace McSorley so effective. When he when the play broke down, his eyes were downfield. And that's where the chunk plays came from. Um, Kenny Pickett's now doing that for Pitt. I have yep. not seen that um, improvement or progression with Sean Clifford. I was just going to say, I, I gave not, a not glowing. I'm not a big Pickett fan either, but I'm going to tell you right now, if I could do it, I would transfer Pickett to Penn State quarterback and let them have Clifford any day of the week at this point because I just don't trust the offense. It was 0-0. They had zero points at halftime against Wisconsin. And I know Wisconsin isn't bad, but the reason they punted so much is because he kept missing open receivers. And I don't understand how a, how a quarterback that's been there for several years – and I know they get offensive coordinators. They've been new coordinators. It's it's still three the guys open yeah, or not. Three in a row. Three and yeah. three. In different schemes. It is. But what the, the receiver's still open or he isn't. Like, my problems come when, when the receiver has a five yards on the defender and you can't get him the ball. Well, I think of that, a lot of that plays in confidence, just like when you're playing golf. I don't think he feels comfortable in that offense. And the transitions of offensive coordinators were not like from Moorhead to Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie worked under Moorhead. You went from Ronnie to Soraka to Yursich. So he's had three different coordinators. I will give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think the other thing that's going to hurt Penn State this year is they don't have the ability for the chunk plays that we got spoiled with Barkley, Sanders, and Journey Brown. We've got good in-between-the-tackle running backs, but you need chunk plays in today's college football. Yeah, the only thing that encourages about the Penn State is the timing where if Clifford just doesn't turn the ball over because he can at times be a fumbler, throw a pick on the run, whatever. But Ohio State's got a freshman quarterback. Um, the rest of the conference has younger younger players too that kid from wisconsin was supposed to be really good and the penn state defense shut him down so uh, i'm a little confident that even though i'm not a big fan of clifford i think he's going to be on par for most of the games this year he's going to be right there with some of the quarterbacks in the big 10 that they got to play well i think the turnovers last year spooked him and yeah me too for conservative and, that, and that's fine um, but you need the chunk plays in today's football. The other thing I've been, I'm hoping they're saving this, but when you have a tight end room like they do now, and Yursich has not used them, he has not used tight ends at the three previous stops, and the rationale was he didn't have the tight ends to use. Well, he has them now, and thus far he hasn't used them. And to Billy's point earlier, that's a great mismatch. I really hope it evolves and these guys are used more. Yeah, you me too, because you know what happens, Wayne, when you got players that don't get don't get used, don't get playing time. They transfer. The transfer portal is full. Look at Levis. He went down to Kentucky and threw for four hundred yards his yeah. first game. You know what? He ran every time he played for Penn State, which was not enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Um so yeah, they're gonna be good. Um are they gonna 
Ohio's everyone says Ohio State lost to uh, Oregon, so you know that now the Big Ten's up for grabs. No, it isn't. It's still Ohio State's to lose. I think with a freshman quarterback, teams can can stay with them because that kid is a little shaky. Um, I, I, I literally the quarterback played great. The Ohio State's quarterback wasn't the problem. What's happened to their defense the last yep. couple of years? They couldn't That's- stop Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be a good, uh, their defense is legit. Like, oh, yeah. And they're, they're a team, like, like Wayne said, Ball, Ball State was, yeah, Ball State was not a bad team. They got some speed on that thing. And Penn State shut him down. Like, he didn't have time. He did, the receivers were covered. Um, even the backups that came in were sticking with Ball State starters. And that was very encouraging. So, Let's let's talk a little bit about what does the Ohio State loss to Oregon? I I I read a like a piece of an article about what it says about you know yeah the Big Ten they'll say the Big Ten is up for grabs, but does that hurt the? I mean I know it hurts the Big Ten when you have a you know your who people assume is your best team in the Big Ten lose to a Pac-12 team coming into their house. But what does that what how does that affect Penn State if at all? Where the 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 best team in the Big 10 gets beat at home. How how does that you know what I mean? How does that cause like the people who are doing the votes to look at other teams in the Big 10? Well, I think it it gives it shows them that they are beatable, mm-hmm. which for the last couple of years they didn't look to be beatable at least until the playoffs. Um, but keep in mind, they won a national championship after they lost to Virginia Tech in the horseshoe not so long ago. So I, I believe I, I'm with duty. I mean, until someone from the Big Ten beats them, it's probably not that meaningful. And it's poking the bear and it's making them address problems that they may have um, that they were able to ignore prior to. So we'll see how they respond. That'll be interesting. And, you know, it's not like Oregon was unranked. Oregon's got a really good squad. And the fact that the only thing that shocked me was them coming across country with those kids. And then they came out and, boy, they put it to that Ohio State defense. And like Wayne says, maybe they're poking the bear. Maybe they're going to not give up another 100-yard runner the rest of the year. But they couldn't stop the Oregon offense. And a lot of it was uh, passing, and they couldn't get pressure on them. The, the, their defensive front seven was not good, and that is not like Ohio State at all. So maybe it was just, you know how football is and with, with matchups. Um, it's just maybe Oregon's offensive line is really good, and we don't know it yet. Well, you know what people are missing? Two points. Their offensive line is good because Mario Cristobal was an offensive lineman, and he's built that physical team at Oregon that used to just be all skill players. What a lot of people are missing is Joe Moorhead's the offensive coordinator. He had a lot of success against Ohio State's defense. He yeah. went out to Columbus mm-hmm. in 2017 and put 30-some points on the board, and Penn State blew that game because they couldn't run the football in the fourth quarter. So his experience against Ohio State's defense really, really helped Oregon game plan and, and attack that defense. Um I'd love so, to see that guy back here someday. Well, he might be. 
<laughs> he may be the next head coach. <laughs> so there's uh, a segue. So let let me ask you guys this. So much like I asked I asked Billy in regards to Pitt, what aspect of Penn State's team on either side of the ball concerns you going forward? I already said it. The chunk yeah. plays. Um, they don't have the running back that's a threat to go the distance like they have in the, in the past. Um, and, and Dotson's really the only deep threat they have right now. And I don't even know how much of a deep threat he is. He's more quick than fast and he's not that big. Um, so yeah, the, the, the chunk plays, I haven't mm -hmm. seen. I mean, they had some against Wisconsin because of the scheme Wisconsin put up the, you know, put eight men in the box and they, they exploited that. Um, but until I see more of that and more use of the tight end, that's kind of my biggest concern. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's still the quarterback position Clifford. I'm not confident that guy's going to, in a close game down the fourth quarter, he could have a guy wide open and he could miss him by 10 yards short or 10 yards over his head. Uh, defensively, um, they've been really good, but I'm still a little concerned about their pass rush. I don't see a I don't see a lot of pressure against Wisconsin. Now they have those big farm boys up there. I, I get that they always have good linemen, but I didn't see a lot of pressure against Wisconsin. And once again, uh, we'll go back to what Bill was talking about. They play a lot of man to man. Um, a lot of safeties come up in the box. I'm not sure if I'm not confident they can stop the run consistently enough with their front four and their linebackers that's going to take that safety out of the box and they're going to be one-on-one -on -one and I just don't know I haven't I don't know how that happens when they get playing against a lot of speed so looking at Penn State's schedule uh brought up this week there it's a whiteout game at Happy Valley against Auburn now um is this much like Pitt's uh home and home against Tennessee do they are they at Auburn next year is that yeah. how this goes okay so you got Auburn at Happy Valley and then uh, Villanova Indiana and then at Iowa um, looking at Penn State's schedule and you know let's take the Ohio State game out of that because we know that's going to be a challenge what's uh, what what one or two games that's on their schedule going forward give you guys any kind of concern um, oh iowa by far iowa i think Iowa's legit it's a tough place to play um i i think that's going to be their toughest opponent now i don't know wayne you might be able to enlighten us i don't know much about auburn this year um i didn't even know who their coach was when i was reading some articles today based on their competition so far yeah so I don't know, but I don't know anyone wants to come into Penn State during a whiteout. And that, that goes for Ohio State. That goes for whoever the hell you want to insert into that sentence. Yeah. When Kirk Herbstreit, an Ohio State guy, and he's not a Penn State fan for several reasons, when he comes on and says it's the toughest place to play, atmosphere to play in, in all of college football during a whiteout, that says something. It does, Duty, but they're eight and eight in whiteout games. I know it does. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Well, granted, they play their toughest opponents. Well, you usually play Ohio State, yeah. Well, Michigan, yeah. But they're eight and eight, and they played Alabama in a whiteout. They played Miami in a whiteout. So, I mean, it's still the whiteouts 
helps somewhat, but um, it's still you still got to go play the football game. I, I was thinking about this today. Other than Villanova, there's no sure wins. Maybe Illinois. Mm-hmm. Maryland played them tough last year. Rutgers is improving. Um, Michigan's gotten better. Ohio State. I mean, Indiana. Every, Indiana. Yeah, every game's going to be a dogfight. Other than Villanova, and possibly Illinois. Probably Illinois. Um, there's no easy easy games. So totally agree. The, the Big Ten every year beats each other up in conference play. And then whoever makes it to the playoffs, you know, it's just seems like they're a step slow, but the big 10 is no joke. And I don't care. Like Wayne says, Rutgers is going to be formidable with that coach there for as long as he's there. Now, again, what happens is he has a good year with Rutgers and someone offers him a job and he packs the car in the middle of the night. So <laughs> uh, big 10 Rutgers is not going to be a joke. Uh, that, that guy knows what he's doing. Um, and I'm like you said, I, I don't even know if Illinois and Indiana are easy games. So who knows? I mean, yeah, it, does the expanded not. does the expanded playoff start this year? No. It's still negotiating. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you gotta win your division, right? And they're in the toughest one every year. Well, Let's um, let's talk a little bit about coaching and Wayne. You kind of touched on this a little bit as far as any kind of distraction for the Penn State team going forward. So, you know, I, I the, this popped up on the news and on social media this week with the firing of USC's head coach, and so the rumor mill right away got started. A couple of people in sports actually posted on Twitter. You know, James Franklin going to USC in three, two, one, right after the firing happened. And sure enough, it wasn't a couple hours afterwards. Those posts were starting to go up. So, um, and you know, I don't know. It's some of the comments. I don't know what the level of Penn state fans, the people are, but you had a group of people saying, I'll open the door for him and let him go. Um, you know, and then you had people that, are like, you know, no, it's, this is a, you know, he'll play it out to get more money, get another extension and get more facilities. So I'll start with you, Wayne, like with all of this that happening only the second week into the damn season, which is amazing to me that USC made this move that quick after one loss to Stanford. Um, Where do you think this goes with James Franklin? Oh, I think it's going to be a distraction the whole year. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't blame James Franklin. I tell people all the time, I've told you this, Craig, yeah. you should always listen to job offers. You owe that to yourself and your family, always. Um, and, and I think he's, James Franklin is more of a CEO type. And I see, think he clearly sees the future of college football. And that is name, image, and likeness. And State College Pennsylvania cannot compete in that arena they have an administration that either can't or won't compete in that arena because these Eastern schools like to act like they're these academic institutions uh, and football is an afterthought, unlike the South. And if you go to LA, you're gonna recruit the best players in the country, some of the best players right in Southern California. Um, You're gonna have unbelievable opportunities for name, image and likeness. And I think that's a real threat for him to leave. I really do. 
Totally agree. I mean, everybody that talks about James Franklin says he's really good recruiter and he's an okay coach. Um, totally. Uh, and I, I kind of feel the same way. I, other than the Wisconsin game, where I actually thought they made some adjustments at halftime, I can tell you that for the first time since Franklin got there, I actually thought that they did something at halftime that made a difference. With what Wayne says about California, you know, you look for players, it's California, it's Texas, it's the big, it's that's where you go. And James Franklin can sell ice to Eskimos. I don't care what you say about his game day coaching and his love of field goals, whatever. Um, and let's face it, State College PA in the winter or Southern California? I, I think it's, a, it's the opportunities for these potential recruits for this money. Yep. Yeah. And he and, wants to be the first African-American to win a national title. He has a much greater chance at USC than he will ever at Penn State. And this woke administration is not going to give him what he wants. There's people that think he's using this as leverage. He may get something out of it with leverage, but not what he needs. Not like he could get at USC. USC... Nope throws the book at him and throws the checkbook and whatever. Um, it'd be hard to pass that up. It's not even a checkbook, dude. He's making a great salary. I don't know that he'll make any more money at USC, but he'll have a hell of a lot easier job as far as attracting recruits as this um, NCAA moves forward with the uh, name, image, and likeness. Isn't he from out there too? No, he's from Pennsylvania. He went originally, to, but he Michael. was in Vanderbilt. Oh, he's at Vanderbilt. Life is from Washington State, I believe. Yeah, I think that's what I thought. He's from the West Coast. Plus, he's got a daughter with sickle cell. In fact, he sent her to Florida during COVID because her health does much better in warmer weather. So he's very close, very big family man. That's another yeah. factor. Um, there's a lot of things in the favor of USC. Um, and I couldn't blame him. I would hate to lose him, but I couldn't blame him. Yeah, me either. And like I said, if that happens, I call Joe Moorhead. Well, I think they also have Yursich now on the staff that um, is possibly a – I don't know that Moorhead has a pizzazz to be, he's, uh, to be a head coach. He's a great coordinator. But I, I will disagree with your um, halftime adjustment. I think the difference was he didn't make good adjustments when he was controlling the offensive coordinators. But when Moorhead came, Moorhead came with the agreement that he would run the offense. And I think Yersich also has that agreement. Right. If you look at the uh, Big Ten championship game against um, uh, Wisconsin, they came out in the second half and, and uh, Moorhead made the adjustments. Yersich made the adjustments against Wisconsin. I think when he had Donovan and Rainey, he was still running the show. But I think he's enough of a CEO that when he gets that type of offensive coordinator, he lets them um, have free reign. Yeah, and you know what? For like my, I guess my point was I didn't necessarily mean Franklin made adjustments. I just meant that it was nice to – if he didn't do it, then he'd let the guy do it. He let right. Jersey do his thing because yep. that, was, that was the tale of two halves, that whole game. Mm -hmm. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, and Penn State's always good. They're going to be, but they're going to, they're going to go as far as Clifford takes them. And 
I'm just not confident in Clifford. Um, no, I, I don't disagree. They have nothing behind him. So nope. There's nobody pushing him. They've got some recruits hopefully coming in, but yeah, he has nothing, nothing pushing him. And that's the other reason why I worry when he runs. Yeah. At least, at least Pitt has some viable backups. Penn State does not right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, I, I want to touch base on this a little bit, and uh, you know we're we're a little late getting to talk about this, but. Um, so a few weeks ago, there was this announcement about this conference alliance between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Now, on the surface, this looks like just a power play to kind of blunt the influence of the SEC, because especially after the move where the SEC is bringing in Oklahoma and Texas. Uh-huh. And Wayne, you and I have talked a lot about the changing landscape of college football. What does this do, if anything? Well, I think the fact that they're aligning, what I would like to see is, you know how they have the uh, the challenges in basketball, the, the Big East, ACC mm-hmm. or Big Ten ACC, that sort of thing? Yeah, I would yeah. love to see that sort of a challenge with this alliance early in the season to draw some attention and get a little better you know, non-conference uh, games on the schedule. And that will give them some um, power to do that sort of thing already in place. Um, and, and I think they needed to do that because otherwise the SEC was just going to run college football. Right. Do, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I'm, I think you were right. I think it was a reaction to the SEC nab in Oklahoma. Um, After how Texas played against Arkansas, I'm not sure they want to go to the SEC now, but go on. <laughs> but Yeah, I, I get it, but it's more of a name. Texas is a big name in football, and Oklahoma is a big name. I mean, the ACC, come on. What's the big name? You want Clemson? Clemson. Okay, Clemson's you got one. Clemson's it, and in the past, you know, looking at the past, you had Miami, but Miami's not what they used to be. Virginia Tech, you know what? Virginia Tech is consistently consistent. Like they're at home. Yeah. Well, but I mean, they're, they're usually a consistently decent football team, but you know, Pitt's trying to get up there in the ACC, but what else do you have? You know, Georgia Tech really hasn't done very much of anything. Um, you know, Duke is Duke, North Carolina, man, they looked absolutely pedestrian against Virginia Tech. When in actually one also another great atmosphere and venue in Blacksburg uh, football games there, but you know I I think you know all of these all of these conferences I think they just came to this realization that after the moves of the SEC they kind of needed each other. I was like, well, we got to do something. Look, the big caveat here would be if the Big Ten could get Notre Dame. It's situated right in the perfect spot. It used to be that Notre Dame had their own TV channel, their own TV deal. Everybody's got a TV deal now, so that's not that big of a deal. But that would be the cherry on top. Wayne, I saw you. I saw Wayne shaking his head. I got to ask him. Yeah, never going to happen. No, would never be the big dog. The Big Ten will always have Ohio State, Michigan first. Notre Dame will not settle for third place. And they kind of have the best of both worlds with the ACC. So, well, that was only – they only signed that deal for football, right? And it was only for, supposed to be for one year. They did. 
But I think if they're forced into a conference, I It'll don't think it's going to be the ACC. I think yeah. they go to the – I agree. I think if they did anything, they go to the ACC. But they're not going very far this year if they can have to – a last-second touchdown to beat Toledo. Might uh, they, they might be – well, I mean, here's the funny thing. So, you, I mean, this is what's funny about college football going off subject a little bit. That was Miami. Big, big, big primetime game, uh, you know, Notre Dame at Florida State, you know, goes down to the wire. Notre Dame, Notre Dame wins the game. And everybody thought, well, maybe Florida State's better than we thought. Then Florida State loses at home to Jacksonville State. And Notre Dame nearly loses at home to Toledo. So I don't think either of these teams are, either of these teams might not be very good at all, especially Notre Dame. Well, you know, I think a lot of it is, Greg, football is such an emotional game. Yeah. For any one game, those teams can compete. The difference is over the course of the schedule. Right. And that's what, to Duty's point, that's what makes the Big Ten tougher now. A lot of these other teams that used to be pushovers went back when it was the Big Two, Little Eight, when Ohio State and Michigan would win every year. There was no other competition. Yeah. Um, you can get up for one game and challenge someone for one game, but the depth and the emotional stuff doesn't carry you through a whole season. That's where the, the cream rises to the top. And remember, um, Notre Dame had Ian Book for 1,500 years. So they got a new guy coming in there. And in college atmospheres, when you got kids that have not played a lot of starting football, again, like Wayne says, against kids that are they're hungry, they don't care, they don't know they're bad yet, they don't know Notre Dame's good yet, it's early in the year, games are tough. And you don't have a veteran quarterback, which is – one of the things I, I like about Ohio State, that kid's good. He missed a lot of third down throws. <laughs> well, Je- um, the, against Oregon, the starting that kid from Notre Dame is experienced, did he? He was a starting quarterback at Wisconsin. And yeah, I but he he hasn't. Jack I get Jack Cohn. He still sat. Yeah. I mean, Ian Book was the guy that was there in the huddle last year, in the last four years. So you got Notre Dame coming in. Now he should have a better handle on it than some nineteen-year-old freshman. But what I, duty? I wasn't impressed. Duty, he's already a Notre Dame legend. He ran to the sidelines and had the trainer fix his dislocated finger, ran back in and threw a touchdown pass. He's a legend. That was, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> I didn't see the Toledo game, so I can't speak to that. But he broke all kind of records in the Florida State game for a first game starter. Yeah. And yeah. had tremendous numbers there. But I didn't see Toledo. I was at Penn State. I didn't need it. Toledo, he was rather pedestrian, but he became Superman after getting his dislocated finger fixed on the side. You know what's funny? What the media does, Duty <laughs> talked earlier about the quarterback from Wisconsin being so good that Merce. I didn't, he didn't impress me. Well, here's what happened, Greg. Last year, his first start as a freshman, he was 21 of 22, I think, against Illinois with five touchdown passes. Yeah. His total touchdown passes a year was nine. <laughs> yeah, that was, was it. 50% <laughs> passer after that first game. But the media went crazy after his debut yeah. against Illinois, and that's what people remember. Well, but the, and this is what drove – I was kind of like – I was watching the Penn State-Wisconsin game, and I'm like, my God, don't stop running the football. Because it seemed to me like every time he threw it, it was an incompletion or damn near got picked. 
yeah. know, but yet for a while there, Wisconsin was running the ball very effectively. They did, but then when the red zone when it got in the red zone, there's less room. Yeah, that's how Penn State won that game yep. with their red defense, not their overall defense. You're absolutely right, and our, well, and the, they got turned. They got a turnovers too, and the so. field the field goal kickers were spectacular in that game. Spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave it to leave it to Franklin. For the one plus they had last year was that one kicker was for short field goals, and they had another kid with a big leg. Well, the kid that was good for short field goals got beat out. He didn't he didn't do shit this year. So they gave it to the kid with a big leg. He's going to do all the kicking. Well, he did was miss an extra point in the thirty yarder. Well, I'll defend him. The extra point was a bad hold. Bad hold. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the laces were not facing the right way and he was named special player special team player of the week for punting for punting and kickoffs no one's returned a kickoff on him this year and that's out dan well hey no (laughs) touchbacks have ever gone for a touchdown right that's so underrated that is underrated you never get a touchdown on the return you save injuries you save yep um, you know, a lot of wear and tear on those special teams when they don't have to make a tackle or get, you know, blocked. It, it's really underrated, those touchbacks. I agree. Well, gentlemen, we've gone over an hour. We have talked Good, I'm Pitt, hungry. We have talked Pitt and Penn State. It's an absolute pleasure to have you guys on. Again, big thanks to Billy Stahl for joining us. Talk yeah. Pitt football. Wayne, thank you for coming on and Talking you, Penn Wayne. State football. Totally. My uh, pleasure. We're, we're, remember, everybody, uh, you can catch us on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. You can also send us emails, basementsportspodcast at gmail.com. It's basementsportspodcast at gmail.com. Please send us a message. You can also give us a message on Twitter, on Facebook. That's where you will find our archive of podcasts. Duty, anything else before we go? No, just thank God it's football season. Wayne, thank you so much. <laughs> um, there's just, there's absolutely nobody turns in just to hear us two clamor about shit every week. So we appreciate it. All Best right. time of year. Best weather. Uh, Best time of the year. Absolutely. Wayne, are you going up to the Auburn game? I am. Well, I go to mall thing. I don't miss it. I know you do. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, Greg.